Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Way Niagara podcast. I am your host, Jordan Berta, here with Chris Douglish and Steve Lamar. We have a great program coming up today. I have an interview in a couple moments with an artist based out of Hamilton, and she is going to share her story. And I really do believe that this is going to be a great conversation. And then we are going to continue in our discussion through the book of James. And you are going to want to stay tuned all the way to the end because there is a great conversation coming. But hey, Chris and Steve, there has just been something on my heart for the last couple weeks here that I just want to take a couple moments to process as we get started today. I think all of us have been horrified at seeing the situation in the Middle East with Israel and Palestine and the war that's been going on for the last couple weeks. And this is not a place where we want to be talking about politics or logistics or anything like that. I just feel like, though, as a church, considering our brothers and sisters, what we need to do is pray. Mm. And because, yes, there is a lot of different elements to this. But one thing I learned from a friend this week is actually the amount of Christians that are being harmed and persecuted in this tense situation So it's, yes, there's conversation about Islam and about Judaism and all of this, but there are our Christian brothers and sisters Mm -hmm. around the world that are really struggling. And again, as a church, we need to care about the global body of Christ in that way. And so I'm going to invite Chris to just start in prayer and, and Steve as well, and then I'll close And then we'll get into our uh, Bible study for today. Mm. Yeah, our Father in heaven, we we lift up our brothers and sisters uh, overseas in Israel right now and the war and the tension, the fighting, the chaos. Lord, we just pray for peace, God. We pray for your spirit to move there. We pray for your will to be done constantly, God. And uh, we trust you, Lord, have a plan in all of this as well. Lord, I pray that uh, the, the grieving hearts would be just comforted by your spirit and by your strength, God, and that, Lord, that the, the horrific acts, Lord, would be brought to justice. God, I just pray right now for all the, the innocents, the civilians that are just, they're stuck in this. They didn't choose this. This is not the life they chose to be in war. So I just pray for your peace and your protection on them right now, God. Anyone that's injured, I pray for your miraculous healing in their bodies. Just be with them and send the people they need. God, I know right now in Egypt, a bunch of the uh, support that's coming to them is being held up. So I pray, God, that you move. Just do whatever needs to be done for these poor people, God. Mm. I thank you for your help, Mm. God, in Jesus' name. Lord God, I pray for governmental leaders and faith leaders those that are making decisions that are having a major impact. Lord Jesus, I pray that people's hearts in those positions would be broken for those that are most disadvantaged Mm -hmm. and that this wouldn't be about elevating their own position, but serving, genuinely serving the people um, in their communities. And so, Lord, if there are those that are doing things for selfish ambition, may they not have that influence anymore but may there be people that are full of compassion and full of care and yes we do pray for peace we pray for healing 
and we pray for strength. And Lord, we thank you for being a wonderful God that cares for all of us because we are all your children. And I collectively say with my brothers here and our listeners, amen. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to pray with us as we start this program. So let's continue. At Way, our core values are community, authenticity, and creativity. And as I've been thinking about who to have on the program, my mind went to a friend that I used to work with. And we've had some great conversations in the past, and I wanted to be able to share some of these insights and thoughts with all of you. And so I am excited to welcome my friend, Megan Little. Hi, I'm excited to be here. Thanks, Dory. All right. Well, thank you, Megan. And so we'll get into, and I think we're we're really going to land on creativity, and you'll all know why in a little while. But I just want to start kind of on the, at the kind of the beginning of your life, early phase, because I remember the conversation we had at work when I discovered how well-traveled you were. <laughs> and, and so why don't we just, why don't you give us kind of a bit of background, upbringing, family, kind of how all of that happened? Sure. Well, um, I... I like to say how I was, people ask me where I'm from and it's always a challenging question. That um, was the question I asked. Is that when you asked? And, <laughs> and so I'll say, well, I don't really know. And then someone has once told me to me, well, where were you born? And I'm like, well, I was born in France, but I've never lived in France. I've been in three weeks of my life in France, two of them after I was born and one on vacation. So I cannot say I'm from France. <laughs> um, my parents were missionaries in Morocco when I was little and um, they kind of went to France from my birth right around then when they were starting their time in Morocco. Um, and so lived there until I was about nine, eight and a half, nine, and then ended up moving to um, Cambridge, Ontario, where we lived until I went to college. Um, I went to a Christian liberal arts school called Houghton College in New York State. It's only like two and a half hour or three hour drive from here. Um, and went there, studied visual art, and then I ended up staying in the States, lived in Nashville for about six years before moving to Hamilton to do a master's of theological studies. So that's kind of a little brief overview of why I don't know where I'm from. Um, <laughs> <laughs> consider myself of the kingdom of heaven, you know, like the, that, uh, that's my home. So yes, but that's kind of like a bit of that journey. But, um, yeah, so grew up in a home where always have loved Jesus, loved worshiping him, loved being part of the Christmas pageants at my church. And, um, we always, we homeschooled when I was a kid. Um, and always had lots of art supplies around. So my sister and I especially were always drawing and making things and getting creative. Um, so for me, yeah, just my love for all things creative. And I was always writing and making up stories in my head. And so um, just all the sort of creative pieces have just always been a part of my life since I was quite little. Awesome. And so you have a sister? I do. I have an older sister and a younger brother. Okay. In the Very good. So you're right in the middle. Yes. And so would you? did you get French citizenship? No, no, you have to be like, have your parents be from there or like live there for six years and like okay. apply. It's more complicated. Most countries, you don't get it by just being born. Right. Okay. Yeah. I remember when we had that conversation and I was trying to figure out, wait, so are you French? Yeah. Well, I have American, American and Canadian citizenship because my mom's American and my dad's Canadian. Right. So I do have dual. That's awesome. But. That is great. And so... <laughs> 
yeah, so well-traveled, and that was a passion of mine as well. So I, mm. I enjoy kind of talking about different countries and different places. So being able to see the world, you know, through the lens of uh, missions, how did that affect, number one, like kind of your growing up, but also like your perspective now of the world? Yeah, um, it's been interesting sort of trying to tease some of that out. So my parents are still part of a mission, um, so I always kind of have a little foot in that world, I feel like. Um, for me, the thing that I think has impacted me the most from my mission growing up is really just having like a vision of what it means for us to be like the body of Christ, all different. Our organization was not part of a specific denomination, um, but you know, everyone's just different. They have different sort of ways of going about their faith, but they're working together like for, for the same purpose to let people know how much Jesus loves them and to share the good news. So I think that that was a really beautiful thing to see as a child. Um, and yeah, so to me, that's been like probably the biggest impact on my life. Yeah. And just, I mean, having that sort of perspective on this culture that we're that you're in and knowing it's not the only culture things are very different in other parts of the world and like because the things we consider normal are normal here but they're not normal everywhere and I just think it helps have that sort of outside perspective and be like oh right well this is how we do things but it's not the only way of doing things right and also you know living by faith in that mm. as you know in a missionary yes. family there's <laughs> needs financially yes and to have people help yes in those ways. that is another and thing that definitely has impacted me and so now and I bring that up because now your profession what you spend a lot of your time doing is as a prayer missionary and we'll get into that in, in a second as to what that means but I know that a big part of that is is raising support and having faith that yes. God is going to provide and take care of you. And so what have you learned in this journey of actually taking the mantle of being a missionary yourself? What have you learned about God? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was not expecting this trajectory. Um, that God kind of reorganized me and sent me towards a ministry direction about five or six years ago. Um, but yes, this journey of support raising, it has been challenging and um, definitely kind of brought me to the end of myself in some areas, um, at some times being like, I have been pushing and trying and doing and trusting, but also like pushing and trying and doing. And so, yeah, just that, like, really we can surrender him everything and that he's the one who takes care of us at the end of the day. It's not us. I mean, it's, he's the one who's provided and he's the one who's created you know, owns a cattle on a thousand hills and invites mm -hmm. us to just trust him like, like a child trusting their parents to take care of them. And I did, I did see that as a child growing up and just see how like, so my mom was a bit of a worrier and was always a little more concerned on the financial end. My dad was like, God will provide. And I always just kind of saw God keep providing. But then when it comes to me and like trying to work this out, I can understand my mom a better, better too on that journey. So yeah. And that's fair, right? <laughs> to be on both yep. sides of that where, like again, like I when you stepped out into this just under a year ago, yeah, you know I was, you know, impressed by the level of faith, mm. and and just the fact that you're you're willing to kind of put that on the line, and that's that's a risky thing, and so I give people a lot of credit for being able to do that, and and you know you're not abroad in a sense, like you're 
in a Western, you know, first world country. And so there, mm-hmm. it's definitely a different type of mission. And so you are a prayer missionary with an organization called Greater Ontario House of Prayer, mm-hmm. Go Hop. So why don't you tell me a little bit about Go Hop and then kind of what it is that you do? What is a prayer missionary? Yeah. So, yeah, so GoHop, we've been here in Hamilton area for um, 22, 23 years, um, which I think is pretty neat to have that history. Um, We are, yeah, House of Prayer. We, as a staff person of GoHop, we talk about how we have just like a unique vocational opportunity to really lean into some of these spiritual practices that everyone are called to on some level, um, but things like really living out of that, like what does it mean to be in the presence of God, to live out of that center of hearing from God, walking with God. We have, because we're, we are, you know, called to this, there's more time for like retreat and silence with God. Um, But then, so there's that piece of it, like how do we really, minister out of a place of communion with God, which again, everyone is called to in a different, in different ways. Um, so we have this sort of vocational opportunity for this, but then there's the outward, like how are we taking what we have received from God and giving and, and bringing and helping others to grow in faith and encounter God. So we do a lot of different things here that all tie in some way to prayer and ministry. Um, but some of it is praying for people. We have one ministry we've been doing since the beginning where we are like pastors and leaders in the area come in and receive prayer. Um, so we're ministering to, we really have a call also to support the church. Like we're not a church, um, but we really see the value of the church and we want to uh, lift it up and help people learn to pray and grow in their prayer. I'm going to be helping with a prayer course we're doing at a local church here, um, going into their church and able to like help walk them through and growing in their walk with God through growing in prayer and getting new tools to yeah, just grow in, in prayer in different ways to encounter God. Um, and then like, there's a lot of, I could talk for a while about that, but essentially that's some of the core of what we do. So there's like the intercession piece, worshiping God, our own growth, and then bringing all that to others and helping the church to grow and helping people who don't know Jesus learn to meet him too. And I really do love, um, kind of non-denominational ministries Mm -hmm. like this and like Crossroads where you used to work and where I am now, the idea of trying to support the church mm-hmm. and in way as a disciple making movement, we are not seeking to be one church. We are seeking to be a community of mm-hmm. churches and to empower people where they are. Yeah. And whether that's in prayer or in mental health care or in any kind of different things that, you know, that we are presented with the opportunity yeah. to be able to do and to partner in, the, in those ways. I just think it's yeah. really, really cool. And so, and I realize that this is a very personal question, but I also know we've talked about it and this is part of what your vocation is. But just tell me a little bit about kind of the background of your prayer life and how and why prayer became such a central part of who you are. Mm. Yeah. So as I've said, I grew up in a missionary home and I grew up as someone who just always loved Jesus, loved worshiping him. Um, And, you know, my faith has grown in different seasons and different ways. Um, When I 
kind of got redirected by God, this call to, for me, it was a call to, to go to seminary and be open to some kind of ministry. Um, and I had been on their other tracks, teaching art stuff. And so this was a new direction for me. I had never really considered that before. And so it really kind of, yeah, just changed things. So I went off, came, moved here to go to seminary and it was in my coming into my second year of school and I was doing an internship at my church. I go to a church called St. Clair Community Church here in Hamilton. And we practice a lot of these similar things with GoHop around um, like sort of these, these grounding practices that help you encounter God. So like silence and solitude, practicing a Sabbath rest day um, where you really set aside a day for, for you and God and to and your family and different things. Um, so yeah, I saw people around me practicing these things and I've struggled on and off with like my, my times with God being, you know, sometimes I'm going for, you know, spending a while with God and other times I'm not. And it was inconsistent. And I was like, you know what? God's called me to ministry. Like, am I going to really like lean into this? Am I going to choose to make this like the everyday part of my life, like that I get up every morning and meet with God. Cause I like, I'm a morning person. So that works for me. I know it's not for everyone, but some people are night people. It's just great. Um, but it was like, am I going to really lean into this? And so that's when I really started doing a regular every morning, half an hour with God. And then coming the new year, this was at the beginning of 2020. I um, really wanted to lean into a more full Sabbath practice where I really set aside all the things and just spent time with God and, 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 did things that connected me to God, to others, and to um, to myself. And so, um, yeah, so then I, during that, I started to journal, and I started to um, do this thing called, well, it's like a listening prayer practice. I call, what I also started doing, what I call an imaginative prayer practice. There's lots of names for it. But essentially, you're just um, turning on your imagination while you're praying. Um, because God's given a lot of us these visual imaginations. You can see pictures in your head and almost like for me, it's a very highly visual. It's like I'm in a movie. It's like, and I've always been very visual and like had very many, many dreams and things like that. And so for me, it's like part of who I am and how I operate in the world, but I'd never brought that into prayer before. Um, and so for me, it just changed everything. It was like, I opened my eyes. Yeah, I was thinking about like, we've been praying with my, I'm praying with my eyes closed, <laughs> which is funny because I teach you to pray with your eyes closed, but like, I just feel like there was so much God wanted to show me um, and ways he wanted to meet with me. And so it ended up beginning this journey of like inner healing and growth. Um, I would go back to some things in my childhood or different times in my life and like received a lot of healing, worked through some challenges, um, ended up getting into some counseling. I was like, I could get some help on this. Why not? Um, I started seeing a spiritual director before that as well. Someone who just comes alongside of you on your faith journey. So yeah, at the beginning of 2020, I was in the midst of like spiritual renewal and really, um, for me, really life-changing stuff. Um, and so, yeah, that kind of re, yeah, really made that a central part of who I am and how I live. And it's fluctuated, you know, it's not always as amazing as other times, but it's, uh, it's good and it's, it's central and grounding. I remember the first time you mentioned the phrase imaginative prayer. Like, and I'm thinking, I've got to hear more about this. And I think <laughs> it's really cool to, to see how God gifts each of us mm. with our personalities mm-hmm. and the ways we see him and we, with the ways we see the world. And so some that are, you know, stronger with math or science, yeah. God is going to help them oh, see yeah. him in those ways. But then someone like yourself that is very strong 
visually and artistically, God is going to allow you to see him in those ways. Mm -hmm. And I think that is just a testament to how good and how kind our God is because he doesn't try to conform us in prayer is not a practice of you do this to impress me. And if you impress me successfully, I will give you this. No, nothing like prayer is about (laughs) an encounter with God. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, and it's important to know that God loves us enough to help us connect with him in ways that are part of the image of God that he has put into us Mm -hmm. as a wonderfully creative God. Literally everything that we can see is because of his ultimate creation. So living in a way of creativity is one way of honoring the Lord. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed is like Megan is a great artist. And so even seeing some of the pieces that she's done and, you know, this is an audio podcast, so I can't show you her artwork, but that all plays a role in this too. And and you mentioned how when you were growing up, you got into art and there's always art supplies around. So why don't you tell, start with a little bit of the background of your artistic journey, but then kind of weave that into how when you started to have this transformation in your prayer life, that your pre-existing passion and interest in art became a really cool, like integrated part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to talk about that. So yes, as I mentioned, always creative. Let's think ended again. So I, I studied visual art in college and create creative writing as my minor. Um, because I just loved all the making things. Um, and I went to a Christian liberal arts school, but I never really connected my art and my faith. Um, they always felt like sort of two different tracks, like I love Jesus over here and I love making beautiful things over here. And I would sometimes like, maybe they would dabble together, but mostly they were two different things in my world. And so, um, it wasn't until, well, and actually I should back up to when I, um, I, I thought I was after college, I thought I would go on, do an MFA and masters of fine arts and maybe teach college art. That was sort of what I thought would be a good trajectory. Um, but I visited some colleges and decided I needed some time out because for a number of reasons, I decided that it was better to go live some life before I tried to go make art about something. Um, And so went to live some life, ended up moving to Nashville, Tennessee, and was involved in arts communities down there as well as a church. And those worlds did not overlap very much. Um, And then when I got this call to do seminary, uh, moved up here and as part of that, I was kind of like open-handed. All right, God, you're calling me not to go teach art. Like I'm going to be doing some kind of ministry. So that probably means art will be a hobby or, you know, some kind of side thing. And so um, my first summer here, though, it, it fell into my lap to do an artist residency at a local church. And we were given the opportunity to like, it was paid residency through like the student works program and um, had the whole summer, was able to like make some art around faith themes and did not know where to start. I remember feeling very like stumped at the beginning, but then just started creating and found I'd been making these sculptures. And so I started making sort of a more abstract sculpture and ended up making these three sculptural pieces and I wrote poems to go with them. Um, And they were all about like intimacy with God and connecting with God. And 
um, it just really brought sort of these two worlds crashing together in a really beautiful way. And, um, and I saw how much it moved other people to like encounter this art. And really at the end of that, by the end of that summer, I felt like God was sort of giving me my art back and was like, no, 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 I've, I've given this as a gift. I want you to use this gift to help reach people, help people encounter me. Um, and so since then I've been, yeah, exploring that intersection of creativity and um, prayer and faith and how can, what is, and I also started during my um, internship at my church I mentioned, um, I started a little arts collective. And during that same year when I was having my, you know, encounters with God, I also was helping other people. We were together looking at some of the scripture verses around creativity and beauty. And I started realizing that actually this matters to God too. So tell me a little bit more about that. Like what is some of the scriptural understanding that you've ca- you came to in that process? Yeah. So for me, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Bible Project. I don't know if you guys all are familiar with Bible Project, but um, I love their podcast. And um, they always talk about how like there's these themes, these things that take you through the entire scripture. And they start at the very beginning, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and they go through the whole text. And to me, seeing that beauty starts at Genesis 1 in multiple ways. So first of all, of course, God is creating out of his, you know, amazing creative mind. And you just look around at the world and you're just like blown away at how creative God is and how amazing everything is. So there's that. But then in the text itself, when God plants the garden in Eden and places the, you know, the human there, (laughs) the humans there, um, it says that he plants trees in the garden and that the trees are good for food and beautiful to look at. And to me, that says that we need food. Clearly, we have to have food to survive. But we also need beauty. These trees are good to look at, and that's important. He put them there because they're good to look at, and they're good for food. And so to me, that tells me that God actually, that beauty is essential for us as humans to thrive, to survive, to be what it means to be human. Um, And so that, to me, really was a big... um, yeah, paradigm shift. Because I, you know, I don't know, grew up in a very practical sort of worldview that like, you know, if it's not practical, it just like has a second second tier somehow. Like, oh, well, you know, that's not, you should be feeding the poor with that money instead of making an art piece. Well, yeah, but like God, God actually values beauty and it actually is life-giving and it's essential. That's one thing. That's really good. And yeah, we feed the poor as well. We do. Oh, yes. We, and we, the poor we are help usually people. important. Yes. Of course. <laughs> it's not to say that one... It's not one or the other. Yeah, it's not one or the other. But it's God's not always... It's not all about the practicality. Like, beauty and creativity and, like, all that is about, like, that matters and matters to God. And it's about who we, he's made us to be. Because we're also made in his image as creative people. And that that's interesting, too, because we were talking a bit about, like, the image... Of God, and so unpack for me a little bit of what you think of and what you process when you kind of say that phrase, "image of God." Image of God. I mean, theologically, I go sort of to the big picture. I love, I love theology, I love scripture. Big passion of mine. And so, what I've learned through like N.T. Wright and Bible Project and some other reading is really like, you know, in the ancient Near East, all the gods had idols, and they had these temples. And in their temples, they made figurines that represented their gods. And those were the images of God. And God creates the world. You know, the world is his footstool. Heavens are his throne. The world is his footstool. And he creates this garden temple. 
and he puts humans as his image. So we are like God's idols representing him to the world, which sounds funny until you really realize what he's talking about. But um, so essentially we are made in his image to pattern him, to show the world who he is and to bring his life into the world this, um, and his caring for the world. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I see like the, the sort of core, what it means. Um, and then out of that, of course, like, what is he like? How, what are his characteristics? And so one of them is creativity. One of them is, you know, his, his, his kindness, his, his justice, his goodness, his love. And so we get to represent all of these things. That's really good. And that shows, again, the, the value of community. And you're even talking about how you are very involved in your local community in Hamilton. And so there's this beautiful merging of prayer and creativity and art, but also very practical in the day-to-day life living with the people around you. Mm -hmm. And so, and also though, being so invested in other people and so invested in community, being complemented by practices of Sabbath and solitude. Because if Mm -hmm. all we do is put out and if all we do is spend time with people, that will also not be good either. We are, yes, we are meant to be relational beings, but we need to care for ourselves, our self-care. And we also need to care for our relationship with God in the quiet. Like Jesus often went out yes. and spent time alone with God. And so all of these things are such important pieces to to a life of faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so as we wrap up, is there anything on any of the things that we've talked about, open-ended, give you the mic, is there anything that you want to share with our listeners as we wrap up today? Yeah, you know, I would love to invite you into some kind of creative engagement. Um, One thing I love um, that I got from John Eldridge, who I enjoy listening to his ministry, is, or reading his books and things, he talks about how we need to receive beauty. Like, if you think about, like, that I was talking about with the trees and how they're beautiful, um, you know, we can go about our lives and just kind of live our lives and pass by beautiful things all the time, even if they're like just, you know, a simple flower that you walked by on your way from your car to your house. But there's an invitation for us to actually slow down and to just pause. And, and John Eldridge says to like, just say, I receive this beauty. Like receive it like a gift. Like God wants to give you this gift of beauty. And if you pause and receive it, um, you are actually receiving just a source of life from God. Um, he's, his world is beautiful. And you can receive beauty in, you know, artwork and a human is made as well or like in another person like sometimes I notice you know being around a child and there's just something so beautiful about just their presentness and their adorableness or whatever it is they're doing that's just like oh that's great if you you can just enjoy that but if you actually pause and enjoy it and say I receive this beauty and I thank you for it God um, you're gonna grow in your affection for God and you're gonna yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be healing for your soul. Um, so I just invite you, yeah, to receive beauty. How can you look around your daily life and, and receive the beauty that God wants to give you in the, the life that that brings?
That's awesome. And in the show notes, we'll we'll put a link that you can go and see some of Megan's artwork. And and so I just want to thank you for having this conversation, being very open and authentic with us. And so again, thank you so much, Megan, for having this conversation oh well thank you jordan it's a real joy to get to to be with you today and to yeah have this conversation it's really good thank you welcome back to our conversation on the book of james chris and steve and i have really been enjoying this and we hope that you are enjoying this as well getting some of the rich depth in the book of james and last time we were talking about favoritism and prejudice and it was just a really interesting conversation. If you want to go back to last week, we even prayed at the end, just to reflect on where our hearts are at sometimes, because there are moments where we can do good things with wrong motives and, and, you know, be self-congratulating. And that's not a great thing. Anyways, if you want to go back to that conversation, but we are going to continue on in chapter two of the book of James. Yeah. We learned that the royal law as it's called in scripture here is to love your neighbor as yourself and that uh, if you show partiality in that you are guilty of of breaking that law and so we're going to pick up in 11 where it's talking about for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder so if you do not commit adultery but you murder you are a lawbreaker that makes sense Speak and act as those who are judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Speak and act as those who are judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown or who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Interesting. We're continuing in this theme of judgment, and uh, we got pretty deep in it last week, so I won't spend too much time in that, but I really wanted to flesh out the idea of mercy today, because it says that mercy triumphs over judgment. Where have we been lacking in mercy as a, as a people these days? Can you start by defining mercy? Because sometimes people confuse mercy and grace. And let's, so let's get our terms straight so we're all talking on the same page. Mercy is defined as compassion or forbearance, shown especially to an offender or to one subject to one's power. Also, uh, it could be called as lenient or compassion, compassionate treatment. So mercy is basically showing compassion to someone who is an offender, uh, who should be by their by all rights they deserve judgment so we're talking about mercy triumphs over judgment so as as a people living here in 2023 in north america where do we lack mercy these days first thing that comes to my mind is things like cancel culture true you know, I see a lot of this going on for people who have, sure, done some things that they should certainly be uh, talked to about and should have brought to light and should be dealt with in a just way. Because I do believe uh, that part of the call of the church and society is to live uh, justly and to also show mercy. <laughs> so 
when it comes to this, uh, cancel culture really takes away the mercy of things. It just gives you the judgment and then gives you the verdict. Like you are no longer a contributing member to this society. Therefore be quiet and go sit in the corner. Um, it really lacks mercy. It really, really does. And I'm sure there's a restorative process. It's usually just time and people forget, but, um, can you think of any other cultural significant things that we lack mercy in these days? Disagreement. Yeah. Right? Like if, if there is something that is a prevailing cultural idea and you happen to be one of the few that maybe doesn't, or maybe one of the few that is willing to say that you don't see it that way, mm-hmm. you're shunned Yeah. as, you know, the one that doesn't fit or the one that is wrong or the one that is uninformed. Like I've had too many conversations where I've disagreed with someone on something on a matter of opinion and their response is, oh, well, you're just not educated enough. Hmm. The only reason that you could ever disagree with me is because you just don't know enough. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's a sad, sad truth, right? People want to spin it like, yeah, you're you're not educated in this. So how can you even have a voice? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say look at the definition that we were looking at. One of the things that it says is uh, shown especially to an offender or to one subject to one's power. And the immediate thought that came to my mind is actually in the church and uh, especially with pastors or small group leaders. Uh, the people that I think get the least amount of mercy are the introverts. Hmm. And I don't think it's intentional at all. And I don't think I experience this often. But uh, it's very easy for pastors or group leaders to look at the people that talk to them the most, the ones that come forward and say, hey, this is what's going on in my life. And they go, okay, let's help you with this. Let's help you with that. Uh, But the people who don't bring their voice forward, they're getting a lack of that same mercy and compassion just because they're not willing or able to speak up. Maybe it's anxiety holding them back. Maybe it is just they're an introvert and they don't know how to express themselves. But I think they're left behind. Mm-hmm. And one thing, like when I've led groups, is that I often try to do is notice the person that's quiet mm-hmm. and not try to make them feel uncomfortable. Like not to force them to talk if they don't want to, but to at least invite them. Because yeah. when you're in a setting, I've been in settings where I'm the I'm the new person, or comparatively speaking, I'm maybe the weaker voice in like a really loud room. And I am completely intimidated to say anything, even if I have something to Mm. say. Yeah. And so it's really important to, for those that have the voice and the ability to be able to help in that regard. And so I would take mercy and I look at that word that we use and I look at that as an action right? Mercy is not just, uh, we're talking about faith and works here now. Like it's, it's not just a, a knowledge of faith that you have mercy. It's an action to, to show mercy. And so as we roll into 14, it, we're talking about faith and works. And it says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but does not have works, can such a faith save him? And I want to pause there because it's going to flesh out what works means. And I think this is something that the church in the past has really struggled with is defining the difference between faith and works because we always had these like 
works-based churches where you have to almost earn your way into heaven. You have to do all these things right, follow all these rules. And then we had this like real like faith-based movement where it was like, it didn't matter what you did as long as you had faith, right? And so we're here talking about, no, no, it takes both guys. Somewhere in the middle, you have to have faith and works. But the, the, the definition of what the works were, like we have a, we have a pretty good understanding of what faith is. It's the ability to believe in something that's unseen and trust that it's there, like grace and mercy and eternal life and salvation and heaven, all these things. But works we always fail to define, and often we treat as it's like a list of rules, do these things, okay? But what we're talking about here is that mercy is actually a version of a work, and, and it's a work that we should be doing. Because we're called as a church to do justice and to bring justice, and part of justice is mercy. So it says, what good is it? If someone claims to have faith but does, but does not have works as well, does not show fruit of their faith, right? Can such a faith save him? That's a curious thought, that without having the works or the fruit attached to the faith, can their faith save them? I'm interested in that thought. But let's start to define the works a bit more. It says, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace. Can you imagine this? Someone comes up to you and they're lacking food and they're, they're naked. And you go, go in peace, stay warm, be well fed, be blessed, my friend. But you don't give them what the body needs. You don't give them what is good. What good is it? What are you doing? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. So you can say all the things you want to say. You can use all the rhema you want. But if you're not showing fruit, and if you're not acting in that royal law that we've been talking about, which is what? Love your neighbors. Then your faith is dead. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah, I actually think of a story that happened to me when I hear this. Specifically the... Go in peace, stay warm, and be well-fed. Like, what a great, nice blessing that is. But how painful is that to hear it yourself? If you're dealing with a struggle, and you reach out to someone that you consider a leader or a mentor, or someone that can guide you through the situation, and you get a, well, you can persevere through it. Yeah, That's, that's great to say about my strength, but where's the help? I yeah. need help. And you know, it's funny, like, this is how the church has treated mental health forever. Yeah. Uh, oh, you have a mental health problem, go read your Bible. Go pray. Yep. You're not praying enough. Yep. You're, you, must have, you must have demons or you must have sinned. Yeah. You, know, you, you have some sin in your life that is causing these afflictions. That is how the church has treated it rather than to take up the arms and, and embrace it and to, to welcome the people into a conversation. Because actually, I'll be honest, we're, we're really just bad at reading our Bible with a heart of, of grace and mercy and wanting to bring justice to all humans. Yeah. And so, as a convicted church leader, <laughs> I want to talk about these things. I don't want to be dismissive of people when they come to you with a need and be like, well, you got this. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Put that little sticker on you. Move on. You can do it, guy. Right? There's no discipleship in that. No. That's just foolishness. And I think that that's where... Uh, some very dangerous things come out of the church these days is putting uh, a faith sticker on things that actually needs some works, some, some what real works 
instead. I like that. I don't like that it happens, but I like how you worded it. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about it a lot because I, I struggle with uh, looking at, having been in the church and worked for the church for such a long time, looking at how we treated things 10 years ago and how much it's changed now. And going, man, I wish we were, we were wiser back then. Yeah. It says this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. You believe God is one? Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Oh, man. Now that is a punch in the gut. Yeah. Because if it was just about truth and it was just about, like, knowledge transfer, demons can do that. Yep. James comes out pretty strong in this next part, too. James is uh, really showing himself to be someone who lives deeply by his convictions. And I will say it probably throughout the length of this podcast that we are called to do justice. We are called to show mercy. We are mm-hmm. called to bring uh, just uh, an unfiltered version of love to the our community and to those that are in need around us. And that's really what you're seeing here is that James is taking up a call that I believe Way has taken up. And that's why it was important for me as the pastor of Way to bring the church through this. It was because I really want you to see the themes of James are the themes of the Way Church right now. And as Way Church starts to branch out into the community and start to uh, work with people from all different walks of, of, of life, uh, we got to be full of mercy and justice and showing love without any judgment. And a church without judgment is the kind of church that I want to be a part of. How about you? I just want to say, as we close, that as we are talking about needing to have works, what we are not saying is that you can earn your salvation. Because of the fact of the matter is, we can't. The whole reason that Jesus died on the cross is because we couldn't earn it for ourselves. We couldn't achieve it by ourselves. Otherwise, the Bible would have just told us how to achieve it. What we're talking about here is demonstrating Christian maturity and living in the fullness of what God wants for us. And the scripture tells us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. And so if you are feeling convicted in this, I invite you into a conversation. Any one of us is available if you want to email podcast at wayniagara.ca or one of our names, Steve, Chris, or Jordan at wayniagara.ca. We would love to have a conversation about this because we are passionate at Way about discipleship. We are not trying to beat you over the head, but we are wanting to call you and invite you into Christian maturity. And the good news is, is that it's never too late. As long as we have breath in our lungs, as long as we are on this earth, we have the opportunity to be transformed by Jesus. And we just want to be a part of that journey with you. And so with that, I just want to say thank you so much 
for tuning in to the Way Niagara podcast. For more information on all things going on at Way, please go to wayniagara.ca or check us out on social media. Be sure to subscribe on whichever podcasting platform that you prefer so that you never miss an episode of the Way Niagara podcast because we will be back next week. Bye for now.